Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hi, I'm Steve. Welcome to Fantasy or Reality. My buddy John's right here with me. Hi, I'm John, and I'm here to help Steve discuss the world. Hi, this is the real intro. I'm Steve, and that was my best friend, John, and I, of course, being silly, because it's hard to not be silly and funny with my best friend, John. This is my best friend, John. I've said that seven times already. John, introduce yourself. How you doing, everybody? I'm John, and uh, yeah, it's good to hang out with a friend and be a silly goose sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes. So John and I have been talking about doing this podcast together because um, a long time ago, um, John was doing a Jets podcast and I did a guest spot or two on his. And of course, I wasn't nearly as versed at doing podcasts back then, but he did a great job. And, you know, he's always been my best friend and he's been with me through thick and thin. He's been with me through my drug addictions. He knows all about my gambling addiction. He didn't know about it when I was going through it. But um, I just thought it'd be interesting to have John come on here, work with me or work through some stuff that I've been going through recently. And also, you know, give his perspective on being a, a non-addictive gambler. You know, I obviously have had issues with uh, compulsive gambling, problem gambling, whatever you want to call it. The John is one of the, you know, depending on what stat you want to listen to, whether it's 98%, I don't believe it's 98%, but yeah, I think it's more like in the 80% range that can gamble responsibly. I've got no stats to back that up, but <clears throat> that's what I feel. It's got to be somewhere around there. Um, so it'd be good to get his perspective on things, especially with how crazy it is in New York. He's in New York also. And um, yeah, so anyways, yeah. So that first intro, him and I have just been, you know, laughing all day and all night at some fun stuff. And uh, we've been testing some things out and in testing that. Uh, yeah, that's what came out first. And we were laughing hysterically afterwards. And I just had to put that in there. So um, I guess we'll just jump right into um, some stuff that's happened recently that uh, I've had to, I guess, work through. Um, you know, I think I do pretty well in my recovery. I put everything I don't know. I, I do my meetings. I do this podcast. I do a lot to address the underlying issues that have led to my other addictions and to my gambling. And there was something today that happened that really, I didn't realize that triggered me in this way, but it always is this thing that, you know, early on in, in my addictions and my gambling addiction, I always just felt this, I don't know, I always felt as if I wasn't, I don't know, I've said this many times, I wasn't doing enough for my family, I wasn't enough, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm used to people leaving me, or whatever, so, um, <clears throat> today, uh, my wife and I, and John's wife, and all our kids, we went to a roller skating rink, and, you know, long story short, we had a good time, but at the end of it, um, just randomly, um, my wife had seen an ex of hers and just, um, I guess it was just the reaction that I saw from her that kind of bothered me in some way, you know, it just, you know, she basically, um, you know, her face turned red. She kind of got 
whatever. It doesn't really matter. But to me, I, I perceived it in a way where I just kind of got bothered from it. I don't know what bothered me, but something kind of set me off from it. And I ended up speaking to her about it. We were going back and not back. We were fighting, but, you know, we're kind of just trying to understand one another. She was trying to understand why I was upset. And I was trying to explain how I was feeling. And the long and short of it is it got down to this thing where her reaction made me feel like, how do I explain this? You know, I guess I'd have to explain um, what's gone on in my, in my past. So I'll just go through it quickly. Um, when I was 12 or 13, um, my dad, my parents got divorced and my dad ended up leaving for about a year. I didn't know what, what happened. You know, I had to be the one to decide uh, where we were going to live. Um, so I kind of felt like at 12 or 13, I made this decision and my father ended up leaving for about a year and I didn't see him again. And it made me feel like, you know, people in my life would abandon me, I guess, or would, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but just the feeling of, you know, people in your life that you love being able to leave. And, um, yeah, that's just, that's the first example. I'm not going to go crazy to detail about that, but then I've had other relationships <clears throat> where, um, I would be in a relationship with a girl where I thought I was in love. I thought things were going great. And I had one girlfriend at one time who left to go to college and basically told me she was going because she wanted to, going to leave me because she wanted to be free to do what she wanted, which looking back is the mature thing. But to me, you know, at that time, <clears throat> I think I'm in love. I think whatever. And <clears throat> it's another person I feel was able to just throw me away and leave me. So it's just, I've had these things stack up and stack up. And another example is I was with someone for several years. Um, you know, a lot happened in that relationship that made me feel less than, but, you know, I had proposed to this uh, woman and I could just tell she didn't want to say yes, you know, and after that, um, it was only a month later before she basically made me take the ring back. And there's only a few months after that where my drug addictions got bad and, and then, you know, the relationship just ended and it just felt like over and over again, people in my life, you know, would leave. I feel like I would give my all people and they would just leave. And I, I guess I developed this feeling of never feeling good enough for someone or never feeling like I was enough or someone could just leave or whatever it was, these underlying feelings of why I would use drugs to mask that feeling. And then later on, why I would gamble or try to gain this money to try to be the best or what, what it's tough to explain. Um, <clears throat> Sorry if I'm all over the place, but um, I guess when my wife reacted the way she did and, and she saw her ex, even though she just reacted that way because she was just surprised to see him, I almost, what we realized is I perceived it in this way where it was, you know, am I wondering, like she sees him and is she thinking, would she have been better off without me? 
would she be, have been better off with this person? And once again, you know, I don't feel this way about myself, but it's just that doubt that comes in. Like, am I, am I worth it? And I know I am. Well, just uh, interjecting, hearing everything that Steve's saying, it sounds like there's a learned behavior just due to his life experiences that, um, or what have you, just life experience that there's decisions you can make, there's things you can do that can drive people out for good. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it's just something that could come up again. You could love somebody completely like your dad. And then you make a decision where it, like, it, it's not like you were probably a hundred percent. Oh, definitely mom, not dad. It was probably something you struggled with and made a decision. Yeah. And then as a consequence, you know, your father left and then these other, you know, so it's just like, there's high stakes at play and your mind just due to past events has a tendency maybe to run it out to worst case scenario. So you're fighting for this like position that will give you a cushion. Maybe, you know, having listened to every episode, um, because when your best friend starts a podcast where he's talking about what's going on in his life, you'd be a pretty bad friend not to listen to it. First of all, <laughs> even if you don't have a gambling edition and I kind of like gambling a little bit, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I think that might've been part of it is just kind of like, it sounded like you thought gambling was a way to make a significant amount of money that could be like, look how solid of a provider I am. And thus um, increasing the likelihood that there's no way there would be a continuation of something that has occurred a couple of times in your life. Yeah. Even though she's never given me an indication that she's ever felt that way. I mean, we've been through a lot together, not even, I mean, not even just with this, we've, you know, living with my parents, you know, renting for a long time, you know, she's never given me this indication that I was never enough for her. Or she's never made me feel like that I should feel that way. It's just, I guess, like you said, it's a learned behavior and it's this, I guess, addiction always trying to come back up, trying to tell me that you're not good enough, that you're not enough for people. And in the past, I've masked that with whatever addiction, coke, heroin, whatever. <clears throat> and then, you know, I went into gambling, obviously, to, you know, at first it was just fun. You know, like when we did our leagues, it was mm -hmm. just like, it was just $75 for the year. Or we do free ESPN or whatever. And that was just fun, like, as we were, like, playing NFL mm -hmm. or whatever. And I, I, I guess it's just, like I've talked about in other episodes, it's like, once I started to realize, like, A, we have to move my, my, with my parents. So is this going to make her think, like, I'm not doing enough? Uh, we're not going to stay on Long Island. Am I, you know, am I not good enough? Would another man have been able to keep her on Long Island? Would another man have been able to keep her out of their parents' house? Like, this is all stuff, like, I guess that would build up in my mind that I didn't even realize would just feed into this and then made this addiction worse. Mm. And um, even though I'm in recovery and I feel like I'm doing much better, I guess it's just an issue I have to talk to my therapist about. Just talk about it, I guess. Like, I didn't even realize, like, I, that, you know, reaction or whatever just made me like, think, uh, you know, why are you reacting that way? I, I didn't even understand why I was reacting that way until like, we really like talked about it for a while. And it makes sense that that would be what it was, you mm. know, just like yeah. wondering, like, 
again, is that whatever it is, I don't like saying disease, but a lot of people call it disease, whatever, whatever that crap is that comes up. I don't know. It's just like, I guess it just, once again, like, just wondering, like, is it, is she, I know she's not thinking that, but it's like, is that that shit in my brain telling me, like, someone would be better than you? I think it's a very human response to, you know, if you see your significant other get flustered around an ex, maybe just by surprise or just the awkwardness of it, you, you might have a fleeting flash of like, ooh, is this bad? Like, is this not... Is this, is this some sort of negative response that I should be worried about? And if you have a history where, you know, you've had negative interactions with people that you considered to be in your deepest inner circle that ended up distancing themselves from you, it might just make you dive into that a little more. And that may have just been all, all it was. It's, I, you know, I'm no expert in anything really that has to pertain to, uh, addiction or other than I've had it around me in my life to some degree. Um, and, uh, I, I just think, um, when, when you're dealing with somebody who's, it's almost like for me, I used to do, I do, I've done it too, where you compare yourself to other people and you worry about how you stack up. Um, there was somebody that we both went to school with. Mm. Um, when I first got out of college, I went for accounting and I got a job at first that wasn't very well high paying. And I thought that like, oh, accountant, you get the degree, boom, money. And I first started off kind of like, you know, a more average kind of income. And somebody that we went to school with who I thought of as more like a, you know, less serious kind of more of a partier kind of guy was... I heard was on wall street and I kind of compared and for some reason it made it, it made an impact on me where I felt like, wow, you know, like I felt like that less than like you're referencing where you're just like, if I compare myself to this person, they are beating me and oof, that doesn't make me feel, you know, you take a hit to the ego. Right. Um, within a few years, just due to whatever circumstances that person passed away and it really, for whatever reason, just drilled into me that it's, not a helpful thing to do, you know, like, and, and I always kind of go back to this example of like, nobody, you know, is going to be the best in the world at anything. So how important is it to be better than some number of people that, you know, or, or what have you, like Michael Jordan was unquestioned the best basketball player on the planet. Right. But he isn't now, you know, he had a period of time where we all agreed on that, but even if you somehow some magical way become the world's greatest, whatever that will fade away and life is temporary. And it's more about, I think enjoying the moments you have and, and being present and not focusing on the what if bad thing, because eventually bad thing wins. If you consider dying a bad thing, I guess, I don't know, just whatever, but like, you know, we age, we lose our prime, whatever. That's not what life's about. It's, I think it's more, um, you know, there, there's always good that you can focus on. And I, you know, I don't know I, that, that comparison game is one that you will never dominate for good. Even if you're Michael Jordan, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I, I used to do it all the time. I'd always compare myself to either the people around me. Like I would always see like my brother-in-laws or my sister-in-laws, I would always see them as doing better. I would always look at the people around me who I perceived that were doing better 
Um, and I really feel like I've, I've worked past a lot of that. I, I really don't feel that way anymore. Mm. And I, I feel like, you know, like, like I, I told my like Kelly before, like it felt like, uh, you know, before all of this, like I probably felt like probably good about myself, maybe 10 to 20% of the time. I did like, now, like 99% of the time, I'm okay with everything. I'm happy with who I am. I'm happy on the, with the path I'm on. But I, I guess it's like today, it was almost subconsciously like it came up where it's like just this little reaction, which she didn't mean it anyway. She wasn't, she didn't think any of these thoughts that, you know, you would th- like, it was just like just surprise and reaction to seeing someone from her past from 13 plus years ago that, it was not a good relationship and you know it's just awkward it's just an awkward situation yeah and like initially like i thought well i mean i i wouldn't have reacted that way but i guess i don't know for sure but i mean even if i didn't react that way i can't you know i can't control how she reacts to something and just because she reacts a certain way doesn't mean that there's anything behind it other than just surprise but like I said, it just, it must have triggered something in my mind, which made me feel like, you know, is she seeing him and thinking, you know, what would my life have been like had I stayed with him? Would my life be better had I stayed with him? Or would I have been better off if I wasn't with him? And like, even though we're in this thing hardcore, she's doing her own podcast, she's in school for, you know, being a, a therapist and she's dove deep into this and even though I know that she's not, I guess those thoughts will still creep in sometimes where it's like, will she ever get tired of this? Will she get tired of being with a quote unquote recovering addict? Like, is it just, will eventually someone who's not an addict want someone who's just quote unquote normal? I don't like, I, I know we're normal and we're just people who have addiction issues, but it, it, it's probably that same crap that would always creep in my mind i can catch it now most of the time but i guess it just got the better of me today so i I would just say that um i think it is so much of the learned experience like you know what that rejection feels like and it's such a disgusting feeling that you really are worried about it reoccurring and um it's probably so much more of a conscious thought to you because it's just like, it's like you want that padding. You want to be able to be like, look how I provide, look how, you know, you want to be this example that can't be rejected because you hate that. It's an experience that was totally negative and terrible that you want to avoid. But like as somebody who's in your, you know, tight circle, right? Like I have known you my whole life since I roughly kindergarten or so. um, I don't see you as somebody who's, got addiction in them like it's true like I'm, I'm not like ignoring the fact i know it's a fact that you do have uh you know addiction past with you know uh drugs and and now gambling as well and you've always just been a, a somebody who dumps in with two feet to things that you're into um negative and you know included um the people who love you the people that are in your inner circle you guys you should all try to remember this anybody listening to this in some way like the people that are your tight-knit circle Try not to focus on like, oh, there must be shame. There must be, they're they're just worried about you. You know, like if you're in a bad way with any kind of gambling addiction, the people that love you, even if it seems like they're like, oh, it's on the front of their mind. It's just because they're worried about your well-being. And it really isn't like a thing where I'm like, 
Steve the addict at all in any kind of negative way. You're just Steve, my brother from another mother who, you know, like, I just want, I just want the best for, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's a kind of thing where it's like, and I know it's like, you're trying to avoid that terrible feeling. So it's something like it, almost like a survival instinct to like worry about it because, Ooh, so bad, you know, like, but you're in, you know, now just, it's just about focusing on, I, I don't know, just, what what way to phrase it like the people on your inner circle for the most part are a lot further past it than you would imagine i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah and he's saying all these lovely nice things and um, (laughs) in front of everybody everybody. (laughs) after i almost burned him and his family's house down when we were teenagers well that was burning my hair uh, yeah (laughs) yeah well i mean hey we were playing with fire as young children that's not what you should do kids if you're out there leave the masses alone (laughs) yeah that's right um yeah you think that it's they're just going to be disappointed. They're not going to see you the same way. But it seems from my experience, most people I've told, you know, they're either proud of you for being in recovery or they just, they just want to see you better. They want to see you happier. But anyways, um, there was another topic I would like to discuss with you. I, I did not watch the Super Bowl this year. And like, uh, obviously, you know, I haven't played daily fantasy or placed any bets or anything, but uh, New York has had this crazy uptick in, in gambling. Um, and- I, I heard of that. I'm not going to remember the stats now, but I heard something that New York might set the single month record for the first month. And I, I, you could look it up now if they did or not. But it was like some ungodly number like New York like couldn't wait. And as soon as gambling opened, like the state jumped on it like no other. Like it was like. And I'm not talking the daily fantasy sports has been around in New York for a long time, but uh actual sports gambling on mobile apps and stuff like that. Like it was an explosion. Yeah, I think I read that like eight, like there was over a billion dollars bet just on the Super Bowl in New York and uh, wow. 80% of them were new users. Yeah. So, yeah. But like, what was the, uh, what was the game? Like, was there every other ad? Was it like DraftKings Caesars? Like, or was it being pushed like crazy throughout the entire game where they're trying to get you to bet like every five seconds on prop bets? Like, uh, not like that yet. I don't think they hit so much on like. I remember you referencing that baseball uh, thing that you had heard that like mid game they were like bringing up. I think you said it was baseball where yeah, there was it's like too, right, like yeah. hey, if you could do this right now, a bit of it, like that just must have been that ad. Like they didn't do anything in the Super Bowl, but yeah, there were tons of ads. Like the Caesars ones were all the time, DraftKings and and whatnot. Um, FanDuel, they all they all advertise. Uh, MGM with Jamie Foxx, like they all have like big name actors and stuff associated with them. It's it, it pretty much. I, I w- I'm not gonna stamp it. I was eating a lot of uh, deli meats and uh, <laughs> you know paying attention to the game, but then you know whatever, just gorging myself Super Bowl day. Um, but I, I would almost say probably every every commercial break had one ad. You know, yeah. it, it's big money. It's huge, a billion dollars. You know, one night. You know, so it's like it's a huge financial juggernaut that is going to have a big presence in advertising across the board. There's a bus that goes by my job every single day. The side of it is Caesars, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And did you bet anything on the Super Bowl? I bet um, a bunch of small different wagers that, you know, I don't know if you want me to get too deep into the type of bets I'm making or something, but 
I bet a, a bunch of money, I but not a bunch, like a bunch of small bets, and I ended up being a little bit ahead. So, yeah, yeah I won. But, like, you know, for me, gambling is not something I would ever consider to be like an ends to a means other than now I care about the result of a game that doesn't have my favorite team in it. You know what I mean? Like that's okay. The Monday night game, it's two teams that I really don't care about. Like, well, if I put a few bucks on some sort of outcome, now there's something I'm rooting for. You know, that was always the, that's like kind of what got me into fantasy was like, it wasn't that I thought I'll definitely dominate and that will help me do any kind of successful anything. It's just, you put a little bit in and then now I care about what happens. Whereas I might not have before. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I felt for a long time when we were playing, like when we first started, like that's how I, it made football more interesting and I got to know the players more, but I think it was like those first few seasons where like, I was like in that championship game every year and like the winner was winning like 700 and I kept winning like 125 or 250 or whatever it was. And like, I was like, oh man, you know, I, I did so well all year long, and and uh, I, f- I felt like you know, I don't know, like uh, I felt like I, 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 I guess winning that money, like it was like, oh damn, that, that was cool. And then like when daily fantasy, like when I, I jumped into it, it was like, oh, I could do this every day, or I could do this every week because it was football. Like yeah. it was like now I have this opportunity every week. I felt like I knew this knowledge, and the first week I had some success, but then it was just back and forth. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story again, but. Um, yeah, I guess for a lot of us, it's like, it's either like a means to an end where you think you're going to gain this large amount of money, but even if most of us do, we end up losing it and losing a lot more or it's people like looking for the action. It's not even so much about the money. Yeah. Well, if I could ask like what, if you said it started off kind of the way it did for me, where you're doing it just to kind of gain an interest in the game and then it somehow ended up where you were, you know, placing heavy bets to try to win large sums of money. It's probably an answer where you're just going to say it was subconscious. It just kind of slowly slid into that. But like, do you, do you have a guess as to what point or what thing made you switch to like, this is going to be a money maker. I'm going to, I'm great at this or whatever. Or like I have a shot to be good or just something like that. I mean, the first ideas of thinking I was good at this was like with our season longs being like in that yeah like championship game each year and then having those thoughts and trying daily fantasy for the first time like trying to win some large amount of money uh and winning like whatever it was like four hundred dollars that first day I thought I could I could do this and like it was at a time where we were living at my parents house mm-hmm. and yeah you said I was having that. those feelings like like no matter what I did, I couldn't get enough money to keep us either from my parents' house or on Long Island. And it just seemed like you said, like a means to an end. And then eventually, you know, after the first time I got caught, I stopped again and then, you know, or I stopped. And then when I started again, after we got the house, it was like, it was more like, you know, I I had some success the first time I didn't lose massive amounts of money. So I thought, you know, again, like we have even more to pay. And now to me, it felt like this was my only option to try to, you know, mm-hmm. get ahead or like be able to pay this stuff off or not feel scared every month that we weren't going to be able to pay the mortgage or, uh, 
you know, like Kelly was dealing with a lot of anxiety at that point. At that point, I just did not want to add more to her. So that's that's basically how it started for me, or how like it moved. I think from you know fun to compulsion. Yeah. Sorry, I had to stop there real quick. Um, John and I are recording together, and the dishwasher was going a little nutty in the background, but we are back in action with no dishwasher. Listen to that. Nice and clear. Mm-hmm. You can't hear a thing. Hey, sorry about that, guys. I did not realize that those dishes were so loud. Yeah, sorry about that. Hopefully it's not too loud in the background. I'm not good enough. In the, okay. I am not experienced enough in <laughs> podcasting to realize or how to take that background noise out. Maybe I'll get there one day. Yeah, and I'm incredibly rusty. It's been 10 years. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, so John and I were just kind of talking about, um, you know, he's had obviously myself and he's had others in his life that he's had to deal with addictions for and uh, with and um, just how he was talking about before about how, he, you know, the people in our lives, they want the best for us. But, you know, we also have to show that, um that we want to change that we want to do the work and we can't expect things to just turn around right away. So, I mean, like just kind of explain what you were just explaining to me about rebuilding trust and like how that affects you. Yeah. It's more or less like and what I said before, you know, like the people who are in your life, the deep rooted relationships, they want to forgive you. They want to move past it. They remember the time before they were exposed to your addiction and realized that you had this issue going on like it's not a defining thing that they'll always put first when they see you if they're really somebody who loves and cares for you it's but it is the kind of thing where addiction causes deceit you know you're you're deeply engaged like addiction isn't something that like sort of happens it's a thing you know what i mean like you're addicted to whatever and it changes the way you behave and what you do and how you prioritize things that shouldn't come after whatever your addiction is but they do because it's like a prominent part of your being when it's taking control of you so you end up being deceitful you end up lying and you end up doing what you can to further your addiction in whatever, you know, gambling, uh, daily fantasy sports, whatever, regular gambling, uh, drugs, alcohol, you name it. Um, so the people that have been exposed to that deceit or, or deception, whatever you want to say, um, it doesn't mean that they can't trust you. It just means that what they've been exposed to lately is causing them to question things that you mean. If you say something that's heartfelt, it's tough when it's been surrounded by things that were just trying to get you back to whatever is enveloping you. So the way that somebody who loves you gets over that is in my opinion, just stack days, stack days where you're honest and not necessarily meaning giving the answer that they want to hear, giving the real answer. And people can feel that if you're telling somebody something and it's not what they want to hear, but it's really, what's coming from your experience or whatever they generally can tell and maybe they don't like what you're saying or whatever, or whatever you're revealing, but at least it's honest. And that's a day, even if it's a painful one that's stacking towards the, Hey, they've been clear and present with me for however long. And it's ebbed away that distrust. It's taken away that time where you're not able to believe what's being told to you by somebody who's deceived you for whatever addiction or whatever, just any circumstance really. 
yeah, I mean, it's kind of like we we're talking about, like, you know, with this podcast or whatever, it's like some days I come in and I sound great. Like I'm like king of recovery. And then some days I come in and, and it sounds like I've just been going through a tough day or a tough week or a tough period. And, and I don't like before all this, I had a hard time telling anyone how I was like really feeling. So I always, I had this mask on, like everything was okay. And, um, I feel like that's why it's like it's really important for me to talk about you know I, like i said i try not to get into too many specifics of people's names and and details of stuff that you know just aren't i get i don't i don't want to say relevant but i just it's whatever it is it's just i put out as much information as i can about why i'm feeling the way i feel each day and each week to show like it's just there's going to be ups and downs and like john said like that's how you build the trust back that's how like and it it shouldn't be just about building trust back. Like to me, like this is like how I've been able to get better and work through a lot of this stuff. Like, yeah, I had this, I don't even want to call it a setback. It was just a feeling today, but like in the past, what I would have done is I may have not said anything or I may have just stocked it away or I may have stayed angry. Or even if I had gotten angry, I may not have spoken to Kelly about this for Mm -hmm. God knows how long and let this fester. And then, and, um, I've just found it like to to really like work past a lot of the, the feelings. It's like to identify like why you're feeling how I f- like you feel. And like we both like Theo Vaughn. Like I listen to his podcast a lot. And like a lot of times he just like will sit there and just kind of like talk about what he's feeling. And like we'll like think about it like while he's on his podcast about why am I feeling this? And that's, you know, He's his podcast has been like another great tool for my recovery. Mm. But like um I do that a lot where I'm like, why am I feeling this? Like, am I like, is this what I'm really upset at? And a lot of times it's like it's like three things removed from like what's bothering me. So like as I'm saying this, I feel like I've gone like on this tangent of like whatever, but like I don't know, that's like that's to me like that's what helps me in my recovery. And it's not just about like, like I said, that's where I was going. It's building the trust back. It's like, I, of course you want the trust back. You mm-hmm. want people to trust you, Sure, but it's like, that has to be the byproduct of right. like your real work. It can't be like, you're doing this because you want to make this person happy. Or you're doing this because you want trust back. Right. You're doing this because you're trying to get whatever you're trying to attain. You like, you have to like, for me at least, like the only way I get better is by doing this, for me and of course for my family but if i don't do this yeah like for real then nothing else is like real that comes with it so that makes a ton of sense it's like i'm just speaking from the person who knows somebody in this situation has them in their life because that's my you know viewpoint in it but like 100 percent, like what you just said was important i think it should be part it's like a ripple effect of you taking care of yourself and your own processes within your own brain um, will be that other people see that you are honest and trustworthy and whatever, and they come back into your life without much worry or fear because you've just demonstrated that you've, you know, gotten past some things or, or maybe, you know, I'm not saying you put them to bed forever, but you you're doing the work and you're coming out on the other side and it's, not really what your goal should be. Like you're saying, it's not like, Oh, I have to repair 
such and such with Lisa because I hurt her or whatever. Like Lisa may be gone. Lisa might not be coming back no matter how many good days you stack. But the next person that you see or bring into your life or whatever, if you haven't taken care of what produced that situation, the odds of it springing up again are probably pretty high. You know, like it's it's about you and the ripple effect will be the people around you see that growth or whatever or trust it. You know, like they see genuine interactions and, and behavior yeah i mean that's basically like exactly what happened with me like it's it's not like a like it's been one substance or thing my whole life but like i obviously you've been there with me through the ups and downs of my drug addictions in my teens and 20s and like a lot of times i would just not like address any of the real issues i would just like always just focus on okay i gotta stop using drugs i gotta get a job and I got to get my, you know, life back or whatever. And like, you know, thankfully, like I was like, what, nine months clean, I guess when I met Kelly this last time around and, you know, she obviously helped me in that aspect where like, I finally found someone I felt like I really cared about and loved. I was worried about telling her about how bad my addictions were or whatever. And like, I've never gone back to drugs since then, but obviously like it came back in the form of gambling, another addiction like years later, because I never really worked on me, making me feel better about me. And like, always trying to find validation and like mm -hmm. my self-worth through how others perceive me. And that never has worked for me. And, but it's like, that's obviously like uh, where a lot of this, I guess, started is like, trying to be a better person or be perceived as a better person because like i guess i was just always worried yeah that the next person was just gonna right you you had a scar that you wanted to really avoid you know adding to a reopening or what have you by you know achieving this level of uh i don't even know what you want to say like you could call it attractiveness but you did or just like providing on a level where it was much less likely that somebody could write you off or something, you know, like it just it, hearing what you're saying anyway, that's like kind of what I'm hearing that it was like this, this guard against this feeling that you know is the worst. Yeah. And I'm not like, I'm not sitting here complaining about what's happened. I'm not like blaming anyone. Like, it's just like, I'm not saying I'm any worse or better off than anybody else, but it's just how I have felt through my life. I mean, like, and I, I know I'm not alone in feeling that. So I'm not like, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not complaining or like right. blaming, right? But this is just things that happened and it's how it's affected me, I guess. And I never really thought about these things before these last, you know, almost 10 months now. And it's like, yeah, I guess I would like briefly think about it, but never like it was always, like I said, like I, I have a feeling now, and it's normally like three things removed from what my actual thing is. Like I would always just be like, Oh, well, I'm upset mm -hmm. at, at this. So this is what it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true with everybody, right? Like if you are screaming about like your dinner order being wrong, that's not what the problem is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that lady yelling about like, Oh, this is undercooked lady or fella. Not, not, <laughs> I'm not attacking Karen's, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like people who fixate on some detail in their day, it's because of a lot of other things that happened that caused this extreme response to a smaller situation. And I'm not saying that like, you know, anything that you're saying is small. It's just like, 
when people are reacting emotionally, it's not just about today. It's not just about the situation that the person is dealing with. It's about a series of events over the course of their life that produce what you get, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. This has definitely been good, Johnny. Thanks for sitting with me and, and doing doing all this. Like, like I know I've said this, but John's been my best friend most of my life. I mean, he's literally... <laughs> probably saved my life several times. I mean, like, I remember the first time I was addicted to heroin, like him and, you know, my other best friend, Joel, like they're the ones that found out that I was using and like went and told my parents what was going on. And that was like the first time I got clean. And, and if they didn't do that, God knows how much longer I would have kept using. And, you know, like he said, he's like, he's always, he's just was always worried because he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want his friend to die he doesn't want his friend to feel this way man i don't know why you, you, i yeah yeah take play it lighter than that i don't want you to have a bad tuesday like <laughs> it, uh, you know it doesn't have to be all the way to death like just yeah. you know the people who are in your life want the best for you and it it's if we really i, I mean obviously i'm speaking from myself but it's like I, maybe there are people who write other people off or whatever but for the most part if someone really cares about somebody they're not trying to write you off. They want you to be that person in their life further, forever, you know? So it's just, it's a, they're your fan. They're not your, uh, your enemy. Somebody who wants to say, oh, oof, look at you looking down the nose. That's not the way it is. They're just worried about, because it hurts. It hurts to have a person that you care about be in a bad way. So they're, protecting themselves maybe if they try to like distance themselves or or you know and it's really just i don't know i guess steve's doing a thing here with this podcast where he's just trying to open up the dialogue that can help all people involved so i commend you buddy new york's time article picture in the paper fellow friend of mine <laughs> oh, man, look at it. Oh, man. working flexing. on his oh yeah. god he's flexing now flexing he's working on his muscles oh, man look at it this guy um you know it's uh yeah i don't know it, it, it's just just be good to yourselves you know take the time to focus on what's important i guess i don't know try to come up late at night with uh <laughs> a sign off kind of credit or whatever but um yeah i don't know just be present focus on positive things i guess yeah, man, and find your find your own Johnny C, man. Best man ever. We're out there. Right, Love <laughs> you, buddy. Take care of yourself. Thanks for doing it, man. All right, no problem. All right, I'll talk to you soon, guys. Have a good night, evening, whatever, wherever you are. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourselves. I also wanted to add, my wife Kelly started a podcast for affected others, people who've been affected by those of us who have gambling addictions or other addictions. It's titled I Butterfly, a podcast for affected others. I will leave it in the show notes. Please go listen. I think she's doing a great job. And I would send it to any of your affected others in your life, your wife, your spouse, husband, family, kids, anyone you feel like you've affected through your addictions or gambling. So please check that out. Talk to you soon. Here's where to get help. You can call or text 
4700. That's the National Council on Problem Gambling. Or you could call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. This is where I found um, the link to my therapist through my local counselor. And then also, we cannot forget our affected others. My wife goes to Gammonon every week, and it's been a huge help to her. So anyone in your life who you feel like needs help or you've affected through your gambling, you can go to gammonon.org, G-A-M dash A-N-O-N dot org. The number is 718-352-1671.